I'm the guy who basically stands on the 50 yard line and says, there's the end zone. See that, see that line at the 50 yards away, that line, that's where I need you to be. So you get there, however you want to get there, but get there. Welcome to the seven figure flipping podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of wholesaling and house flipping businesses. The systems and automation that we discuss will help you build a real business instead of another job for yourself. From beginners to those doing hundreds of thousands a year, we go deep into the details and strategies that are working today. And now your host, Bill Allen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen. And we've been doing this leadership series on, uh, we've done, we've had Jocko come in. We've had an EOS coach. We've had Nate in my presentation. And I just did a, uh, an interview with my dad. It was a really awesome interview. I really enjoyed talking with him. And I learned some things that I had no idea, even when I was growing up, that some of the sacrifices that he made and the travel and stuff like that. So it was really cool to kind of dig into that with him. And I'm going to bring on some of my other mentors in my in my kind of personal life and my military life coming up through the rest the next over the next week. And what I wanted to do on this is we have this CEO COO event coming up, and I wanted to take a minute to kind of talk about that journey, that kind of bringing on a COO. Because when I started in seven-figure flipping, and I've got Mike Simmons with me today, who has been on the podcast a, a bunch of times in the past. And when we started this journey of seven-figure flipping, our mentor was Andy McFarlane. And when we showed up that first day, Andy had a COO already. I didn't even really necessarily at the time know what a COO did or was or any of those things. But I know that Andy was running his business part-time. It was just he didn't, wasn't doing that much. He had it automated and systemized and he was just working a couple hours a week. And I remember seeing him and Justin both at that first meeting, just kind of sitting there and I was getting emails from Andy. Justin's company was running in the background and they were present and, and there at the meeting, giving us feedback. And I saw, I just knew at that moment that that's kind of the business that I wanted and I wanted to figure out how to get there. So I knew that these guys could help me get there. And Mike was at that meeting too. And so I just knew that I thought the next step to get myself out was to hire a COO, even though I had no idea what that was, what it looked like or anything. So over the last two years, finding Nate, hiring Nate, Nate's been on the podcast, Nate Johnson, a bunch of times over the past few weeks, him, him and my presentation, him and I did an interview before Flip Hacking Live and just kind of talking about what that journey looks like. And now putting together this event, uh, some people might think that it's really easy because Andy had one and I had one. So what I want to do is I want to bring on Mike and just talk about his experience out there, like running a successful business and trying to remove himself and, you know, bringing on a COO and trying to look for that person, hire that person, train that person. So Mike, I appreciate you uh, sharing uh, uh, some of these stories with us today and coming on the podcast again. So thanks. Yeah, no, no problem. No problem, man. It, it, this is fun. It's good stuff. And, and really, you know, talking about how, how something can go both good and bad is, is super beneficial. You know, I, I have an audience that I talk to and, and it's sometimes it's a little scary to talk about the things you do wrong. Right. But I think ultimately sometimes that's the best teacher. So it, it'd be fun talking about the good and the bad. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, a lot of what we've been sharing over these past couple of months on this podcast is some of our struggles and as well as some of our wins. It's not just everything is going great and perfect. Right. We all run businesses that have problems, they have issues. And a lot of what I'm trying to get from people is share some of your struggles because the best thing, those are the things that will teach us the most lessons is if we do everything perfect, everything right all the time, we're, we're never going to learn what what we need to be doing, the, the mistakes that we make are the best teachers of what not to do again. And so hopefully it's, it's not major mistakes, big, huge issues and things like that, but everything can be recovered from, especially with proper planning and structure and things like that. So um, this, 
in me finding Nate that we kind of shared that journey, what it looked like, all of those things. And I think we found, uh, you know, a really good kind of setup with a CEO, COO, structure, visionary, integrator, whatever you want to call it. And it's, it's a good match and a good fit. And I found the right person. And uh, some people might say that's lucky. Some people say that you make your own luck, all of these different things. Right. But I think what we shared on the, on, you know, a couple podcasts ago was it's really being in the right place when you're ready for that. And those core values kind of attracting each other to, um, what's, what's the right place for both of us to be. So, um, why don't you tell, like, you got to a point in your company where you said, okay, was it, was it because you saw everybody else hiring COOs or was it really like, what made you like take that leap and go that search uh, to look for one? So I'm with you and I want to go back just for a minute to the mistakes and, 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 you know, sometimes mistake being the best thing I've always said, and this sounds really kind of crazy and maybe counterintuitive to a lot of parents out there. When my daughters got their driver's license, both of them got into fender benders almost right away, like super minor. Nobody got hurt. Just the car got a little dinged, whatever, but it scared them and it taught them something. Right. So I, I do think that's true. I think sometimes those little mistakes and accidents that you have are the best teachers to going forward. But to answer your question, um, I'm kind of with you. When we started the seven figure group, um, geez, back, uh, the beginning of 2016, I think, um, I, Andy was, was the guy that I was looking up to and trying to, to model after. And he had a COO. We weren't really talking about it that much. We just had a guy that sort of ran his company. You know, he wasn't a partner. He was an employee, but he kind of ran things. And I think I, that was always kind of the goal is to get the business to the point where you have employees that are kind of self-sufficient and you bring someone in kind of over top of that and they kind of oversee everything so you can truly step out and, and be absent for maybe days at a time or even weeks at a time if, if necessary. And, and you're going to give up obviously some of your profit and it's and all that, but that's, I didn't care about all that. I just, I, I like the idea of the, of the freedom. Um, as you get older, you certainly, you know, time means more than, than money for sure. So I'm definitely willing. Um, and that's why I partner too. I'm definitely willing to give up some of the profit uh, to get back some of my time. So yeah, it, it was always the goal and it was kind of always the mark um, that I was, that I was shooting for um, even when I started ramping up my business. So yeah, it's, it's kind of always been that goal. It, time freedom. It wasn't necessarily the CEO, but that's, that was the path. And that, I think that is the path, frankly, for a lot of people. That's the way you should go about it. Um, but I know we're going to get into it pretty deep and I'll, I'll let you kind of lead this conversation, but yeah, it, that was the goal from day one, really. Yeah. And I think that that's, there's people that have a different design of business. So if you're, and the other thing is if you're listening to this and I think you're newer and you're like, these guys are talking about CEO, COO relationships. Um, I'm not ready for this. This could be your first person that you bring on. Like first employee yeah. could be that first uh, thinking about getting into a partnership. A lot of the stuff, it kind of goes hand in hand. So if you're newer, I wouldn't recommend, you know, jumping off this podcast and just see what kind of information that you could pluck from this learning experiences and, and everything that we're talking about that, worked and didn't work for us as we were hiring people. This yep. is just a high level hire. And when you're by yourself in a one man show, this solopreneur, that first hire kind of is a high level hire in my mind. It's that first person that I brought on and I started giving them responsibility. Yeah. The company. It was important for me. And I actually gave up some profit distribution to my first person that I hired to bring them in and get them excited about helping me grow a business to 
to scale. And you're, so you're right. That, that feeling that you get, by the way, when you're starting off and growing your business, the first person you hire, when you give up some of what you're doing to them and trust them to do it, honestly, that feeling when you're at that stage of the game, when your business, when you bring in that first person, that scary sort of, I don't know if they're going to do it right. Can I afford this? Like all of those things are the exact same feelings you have when you scale up and bring in like a C-level guy or a girl. That's, that's the exact same kind of sensation. It's like, uh, it's a lot of money and, uh, it's, you know, it's a lot of responsibility that I'm letting them take over and they're kind of steering the ship and you have the same anxieties you have regardless of what size your company is first hire. And then that, that C-level, it's the same feeling, man. Yeah, I agree. And I get the same questions from our mastermind members. It's like, why, you know, you're going to give them the everything, let it teach them everything that you're doing. Why, they're just yeah. going to go do it themselves and things like that. And that's why I think it's really important to find the right person. We talked on, a, yeah. on the last podcast about uh, at our presentation of Flip Hacking Live and more about like who is the right, find the right fit, find the right person with the right core values that yeah. you know is going to come in and really be a part of your company and do right by all the information that you're sharing with them. And the same yeah. thing with that first employee or that first contractor, whoever you're bringing in. So, yeah. so, you, so, okay, so you went on this journey, started building this business. You guys got uh, successful in that flip, uh, wholesaling model, flipping model. And then you decided, hey, it's time to go out and look for a COO because you, yeah. I wanted, you wanted to remove yourself. So what was that kind of like, tell me a little bit, like when was that? And then a little bit about what the search was like. Did you just go out and put up an ad and things like that? And then and tell me a little bit about the process. Yeah, it was a couple of years ago um, when we first started kind of going down that path. And we did, we put an ad out in, on Indeed and ZipRecruiter and we started like making a list of, of everybody in our, in our market that we knew in our Rolodex that would be potentially a target of someone that we want to talk to uh, about this role and see if it made sense. And we, we felt like we really did a wide, we cast a wide net. Like we were really looking um, on all the conventional ways, but then going in, like I said, to our warm network of people and making a list. And some of the people on our list, it was just like a, like a, a list, like, Hey, let's not restrict ourselves to who's available. Let's just put a list together. Right. We'll worry about who's available afterward. And some of the people that we really wanted just weren't available. They had jobs they liked and they weren't interested in leaving and it just wasn't the right time. Um, you know, some of the people we considered that we really had high in our list of personal, um, uh, network that we knew, were available-ish, you know, they were open to it for sure. Um, and then we interviewed a number of people uh, off of Indeed and, and ZipRecruiter. So that was the process. We were kind of conventional process, um, maybe with the exception, not everyone, I guess, goes to their warm network necessarily, but um, we were trying to be exhaustive. So we went kind of everywhere and threw that net out really, really wide. And there were there was more than one person that we were strongly considering the first time around. And when I say the first time around, I'm implying there's more than one time around. So, uh, spoiler alert, there's more than one time around. But the first time around, uh, we had probably two or three people that we were strongly considering. All of them were absolutely interested. And, and that's what we went from there. So, I, okay. I don't want to go for too far down. I want to tease a little bit. But there was, yeah, there was a lot there that we could talk about. And were, were some, were, was it like a mix of some people from your warm network and some people from Indeed or ZipRecruiter, wherever you were finding, or was it mostly it, warm network people? That it, was, it was, uh, it was two thirds warm network. So there are three people and two of them from our warm network. One was from, um, I don't remember if it was ZipRecruiter or Indeed, but one of those online type services, somebody local. Okay. And so what, what was it, What was next? So what did you guys do? You guys interviewed them, you, you have them come in and kind of uh, uh, go through some of the process or get to know some of the staff. What did it look like? 
Yeah. So the next thing was to have them come in for a standard interview for an hour, right? Just come in, sit down. Let's just, let's just do a standard interview. We did, we did a phone interview too, like a very brief one just to get them on the phone. We knew we liked their resume. Um, we were super interested in them, got them on the phone. Just, you know, I, I think phone interviews are good if they're, if they're brief and they only have one purpose. It's to weed out the absolute like psychos, right? Like people that you know, in a 10 minute conversation, they can screw it up. They will screw it up. Then you don't even bother bringing them in, right? You don't want to spend an hour with that person who can't carry a 10 minute conversation. So we had those really fast. It was not a big deal. The warm network people, we didn't do that because we already knew them. The one from the, the Indeed service, I think it was, we, we interviewed her on the phone and, and brought her in and, and she was good. You know, it's back then though, we, we really were not we weren't super experienced hiring people. So um, we didn't use, uh, we used the disc assessment, right? We did that, but we weren't really that sophisticated with our, with our interview process. So we just had like some questions. I, I think we downloaded them from the internet. Like it wasn't all that specific to us um, just to bring that person in and kind of see how they were. Now the people in our warm network though, we actually like went out to dinner with them. We, we went out to dinner and sat down because one of them, I knew the guy, I knew his wife. I had known him for years. The other guy was uh, a high school friend of my partner's. He's known him since high school. They weren't in close contact, but he knew him from back then. So we got together and and did that. And then we each met with them individually at like a coffee shop kind of a setting. Um, so the the person from from the internet from Indeed, she was good. She was qualified, but she sort of was behind right from the beginning because we didn't know her as well. We didn't have as good a feeling about her. Um, nothing jumped out at us remarkable about her other than just the fact that she made it to that point. So she was sort of quickly scrubbed in the, in the, in, during that process. And we were down to somebody that I knew pretty well or very well and someone my partner had known since he was a kid kind of off and on throughout the years. And actually that guy, he was in a warm network, <clears throat> but it, it sounds like it was somebody that, he, that my partner was hanging out with. But actually we were following the traction model um, and we are following the traction model. And, and he found uh, through a networking event, he, he ran into this guy and he said, Hey, I'm working for another company as an integrator. We're following the traction model. So I was like, Hey, cool. So my partner went out there and just sat in on one of their level 10 meetings to kind of understand how they do it and to see this guy in action a little bit. And he liked it. He was, he was excited about him. So that's what kind of brought him into our mix. It was indirect. He wasn't, he didn't really respond to an ad. It was a networking event. He was following the same business model, the same, the same structure that we were trying to follow. So we, he went out there and actually saw him like in, in action in the company he was working for, but he just wasn't super happy in that company because he was an integrator, but he was given no responsibilities, no um, power to make decisions. So it was kind of a, a neutered sort of a position, but he was trying to implement traction. So that, that was how he came into our mix. And the guy that I knew is somebody that I had known for years, very, very high level in the IT business. He's a project manager, very analytical. He brought to the table some complimentary skills to me and, and my partner, things that we don't really, skills that we don't possess at a really high level. So he brought those things to the table and it looked like it could be a very good fit. So we were kind of down to those two early on. It didn't take long to get down to those two. Okay, so which one did you go with? We ultimately went with uh, the friend of my partner's. He was a younger guy, um, super enthusiastic to come work for us. The, the guy that I knew was uh, older. He was nearing retirement. And once the rubber hit the road, like he did come in 
and in and sat in for a day, talked to all the employees, like kind of interviewed them a little bit or just sort of question them about what what they do and you know how they like things and and what what they're observing. And he sat through one of our level ten meetings and he, he did all that. And he actually gave me a very comprehensive, which was very cool before, you know, we got to from the process. He gave me very comprehensive feedback on that day, what he heard, what he saw, what his observations were, where he thought there was some opportunity for improvement. He went to our website, he went to our social media, like he really did a deep dive into our business to give us some advice, which was exactly the kind of thing that I was looking for. I was excited about him. My partner was excited about the guy he knew. And at the end of the day, the guy that I knew was, like I said, he was getting closer to retirement age. And when he, when it really got serious, when we were starting to get to the point of making him an offer, maybe, and and like, you know, like really getting to that decision point, he kind of got cold feet and said, you know what? I've been thinking about it. I've been talking to my wife. And at, at the end of the day, I'm closer to retirement and wanting to wind things down. I don't necessarily want to jump into a, you know, I'm doing air quotes startup and kind of be in a small company where there's a lot of things rocking and rolling and and maybe a lot of hours I have to work. He said, "I, I don't think I want that lifestyle for the next five to 10 years. So he sort of disqualified himself, which process of elimination left the one guy that we were, we were excited about. I sat down and talked to him at a coffee shop one last time just to make sure I wasn't, feeling anything weird. Um, and then to be honest with you in hindsight, right at the time, I think forward momentum, it's like that, that forward momentum when you go to buy a car and you're super excited about it, maybe you bring your wife or husband or kids and they're all freaking out cause they love it. It's great. Everyone's excited. You're sitting in it, you're test driving it and you get to the table and they go, Oh, there's this $350 charge. I, I, I forgot to tell you about it. Um, and, and you, you don't usually go forget it. I'm walking out like this is over, right? You go, all right. 350 bucks. Let's just, just do it. Let's just do it. Right. We were kind of at the point where we had already hired them in our mind. I went out to have coffee with them. It went fine. But the one thing that I noticed when we were having coffee that I kind of brought back to my partner and said, "Eh, this was a little weird. I don't know if it's a deal breaker, but I'm just saying it made me feel weird was when I asked him a question like, you know, how would you handle this scenario or, or, you know, here's a, here's something that goes on in our company. Sometimes what, what do you think your approach would be to this? It was a lot like when you ask a, uh, a politician what their stance on the death penalty is, right? It's like, they won't just say I'm for it. Boom. Or I'm against it. Boom. Cause it alienates people. They give you this answer that sort of stride str- um, straddles the fence a little bit and kind of doesn't make you mad no matter which side you're on. He, he was giving me answers like that that weren't very definitive, Um, and they were really, I couldn't really say he was wrong because he wasn't really answering it. And I, I just sort of overlooked it. I said, okay, you know, he's nervous. I'm making him nervous. It's sort of not fair. He doesn't know the company that well. It's hard to make a decision like that on the fly. And I was sort of justifying in my mind why he was giving me answers that made me feel like he was BSing a little bit or kind of like felt like he was a little over his head with the question I was asking him. Um, he's a younger guy, not that young. Right. So we joke around a lot that I'm super old, but he was like, I don't know at the time, I think he was like 30. Right. Which for some people go 30 is not, not young. 30 is fairly young. Right. So that, that's where we were. We went ahead and hired him because you know, there was some history there, some, some background. We kind of knew his character. Um, he was, he was an integrator for traction, which was perfect for us because that's exactly, so it, 
it, it shortcut the process of bringing someone in and teaching them that traction model or having them read the books and then they, they don't really get it. Like he could hit the ground running and he could implement and integrate immediately. So that probably clouded my vision more than it should have. Okay. So there's a couple things I want to point out. So you got a, you've down to these two folks, right? You kind of weeded out the, uh, the woman from Indeed or ZipRecruiter. Yep. And then you've yep. got these two warm network people. You got an older guy who's getting ready for retirement. You got a younger guy who's probably like driven, ready to, to come out of the gates swinging. He's not so happy in the company that he's, he's with right now. He's ready to go. And he's already running the model that you guys ran, sat in on an L10 meeting, seemed to have gone well. There's a lot of really good things there. You got an older guy. The one thing that kind of stuck out to me is you talked about the guy that you knew, the little bit older gentleman who's ready, about ready to retire. And you said that he's got a couple of the aspects and qualities that you guys don't have. Do yeah. you feel like this younger guy who was running traction also had that or was more like you guys? Uh, he... He, he said he had it and I didn't know him well enough to say he did or didn't. Now, uh, at the time, like I said, we were using the disc profile or the disc assessment, I should say. And I don't remember what his scores were offhand, but he wasn't a super high D, which should have been a, a little bit of a, a flag for me too. D is like the driver, right? He wasn't a, a big driver, but he was a high I. So he was very social and that kind of thing. Um, he claimed to have the detail and the analytical brain that we really wanted to bring into the company. Um, so to answer your question, he claimed to have that. Okay. So at the time, at the time, the answer was yes, right? Yes. So yes you, right. At the time. felt that way. Yeah. Um, yep. You probably thought that was the case. Obviously we, we can, we have a crystal ball now uh, looking a few years back. Exactly. So, okay. So you guys brought him in. What did that look like? Was, um, you, do you mind sharing kind of like the pay structure, any of that stuff or it doesn't have to no. be exact, maybe something. No, it's fine. I, no, it's fine. Um, so the, the pay structure, one thing we did do, I thought pretty well, and something I still tell people is a smart thing to do when you're hiring, I don't care who you're hiring, is find out what they need, find out what they want, right? And so, before, so we went that route, instead of offering them something, we said, what do you want? And it, um, I, I don't mind giving the numbers, but it, I, I'm going to be uh, getting close because I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I believe... Uh, he wanted to make $100,000. Like that was his goal to make $100,000 between salary and bonus. That's what he wanted to clear at the end of the year. And I think we offered him a salary of 60 with, with realistic possibility of bonusing him to $100,000 at the end of the year. So that, that's where we landed. He wanted more like 80,000 and 20 bonuses and we ended up doing 60 and 40. But you know, before we moved forward, I said, this is what we agreed on. Are you comfortable? Can you live with this? Is this going to make you happy? And yes, 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 yes. Good. I'm okay. Good. And the, so the bonus was like something like a percentage of the net each month. Or yeah, quarter yeah, or yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Percentage of the net. And then I think there was some sort of a little bonus for like profitability and stuff. So it was all tied into whether or not we're making money and being profitable. Okay. And where was your business at that time? Let's give a little context of where you guys were, like a number of employees maybe and about the amount of uh, yeah. doing something like that. Uh, at the time, I think we had like seven or eight employees and we were doing, you know, 10 to 13, 14 deals a month, something like that. Um, yeah. So that's where we were pretty much. And, and just doing, I don't know, a million and a 1.1 uh, or 1.2 million, something like that. In, in gross profit for those gross of you profits, guys listening. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's probably somewhere, depending on your, your margin on each deal, you're probably doing somewhere in the range of like $10 million in real estate transactions. Like if you're oh, yeah. or yeah. something like that, maybe 50. Yeah. So, uh, okay, cool. So you bring this guy in and then what's the kind of the first thing, like 
I, I can already tell you're sitting there in the new car, right? You're in the new car, you're sitting down, you're going, I got, there's something here, maybe like a little bit, uh, there's that thing that you're like, I'm not sure. Did you feel that from the beginning or was it, did it take a while for you to start um, wondering if this was the right fit or did, or even from the, the get go where you like, I'm not, I'm not sure about this. Well, okay. So this is all kind of hindsight, right? At the time, if you would have asked me, I would have said, no, I'm, I'm good. I mean, we just hired him. I, I, day one, I didn't have a bad feeling necessarily, but I don't think the feeling I got from our little coffee shop discussion completely left my brain. I think it was lingering back there a little bit, but I'll paint a little picture for you too. So I am uh, like on the disc assessment, right? Like high D, high I kind of adjusted. I'm not necessarily outgoing, but I, I, I can be that way in, in the right circumstances. So that's how I am. My partner's the same way. This guy uh, before he worked for us and before he lived in Michigan, he, he lived in Michigan, grew up in Michigan. He moved away to Hawaii and basically was like, like worked at a company, but he was like on the beach and surfer. Like he had that vibe to him, kind of like surfer dude vibe, long hair, like, which is cool, whatever. Right. It's fine. But I'm just painting a picture of a guy who had a very laid back, relaxed sort of a vibe to him. So when he came in, um, Super personable, young guy, very likable guy. Um, he immediately started doing some of the traction um, uh, strategies and, and exercises. Like, what is it that you do that you're good at, that you like? What is it that you do that you're good at, but you don't like? Kind of some of those assessments, right? So he could figure out if everybody was kind of doing the right thing. Uh, as I remember, I never finished mine, uh, which is not surprising if you know me. But uh, what, what I do also remember was, there was no push from him. Like there was no like, Hey, I need this. You, you brought me in to do something. I need this from you. It was like, I, I didn't do it. He asked me about it. I still didn't do it. And then it just sort of died on the vine, which is a, a kind of a bad sign right off the bat. Right. Um, the other thing was we asked him to sit in on every department. Like I, I can't remember the time frame, but I think he said like for a week, spend time with the people answering phones. And then like for a week, spend time with our dispo guy and for a week, spend time with our transaction person. And he never completed that task either. Like there was always a reason why he couldn't. And, and so now let's just say we're two to three weeks into this, right? And we're kind of wait and see kind of a thing about six weeks in. He's sort of, he's, he's not really getting anything done. And by this time, five or six weeks in, he's, he's kind of taken to put, putting himself in the conference room, closing the door, putting in earbuds and like just tapping away on a laptop with a screen where I can't see it, right? Which is fine. I'm, I don't have trust issues. Like I'm like, whatever, man. He likes to listen to music while he works, whatever. But the door closed kind of a, like a weird, you know, like very isolated and alienated from everybody else, right? So fast forward a little bit further. We're kind of watching this. And now, now the employees are starting to come to us and say, what's this guy do here? Like, what's he doing? He never talks to me. And the door is always closed and he never seems to want to engage with me. And we're like, well, you know, we want him to sit down and kind of spend a week and learn your, learn your part of the business. And they're like, yeah, that's cool. But he hasn't done it. And so we would mention it to him, hey, and by the way, we're, I'm in and out of the office. I'm not sitting there monitoring him all day long. I'm in and out of the office. So I don't necessarily see if he's doing it. I'm saying, hey, you need to do this. He's like, totally got you, man. I'm going to do it. And, and next thing you know, the employees are coming to us a little bit. And, and there's some red flags, but I'm super like, listen, we made a decision 
and I'm not going to just pull the ripcord day one. I've got to give this guy time. Like he's got to acclimate. Maybe he, it's just his process of getting into it, right? Like all the kind of like dumb, I was not managing very well. If that isn't clear to you guys yet. So I'm in and out of the office. Next thing you know, about eight weeks in, he comes to me and my partner, Mike, and he's like, oh, by the way, eight weeks in, uh, we had a humongous quarter and our sales guy got a humongous bonus, like people's whole year salary bonus. And because our COO, this new COO was into our book, he, he saw our numbers, he had access to our financials. Did he have a financial background? Also, he, he did. He did okay. have a financial background. Yeah, that was his degree. Actually, it was in finance. Yeah, that's why we gave him access to that stuff and whatever. So he saw the bonus, right? Coincidentally, within thirty-six hours, he's in he's in my office talking to me and my partner and saying, "I." His words were, I'm paraphrasing, but pretty close. I can't work for what you guys are paying me. I can't work under this cost structure. And we said, "Hey." This is the cost structure we agreed to like two months ago that you were fine with what's going on. He said, he said, listen, if, if I'm going to be paid this much, I literally can't concentrate. Like I can't concentrate. I can't even get any work done because I'm not happy about it. And we're like, okay, well, if you're asking us to reconsider your salary and your, your compensation, I'll, we'll do that. Like we'll consider it, but there's no promises here. Right. So my partner and I got together and we're like, what do you want to do? And he's like, I, I don't know. Like we just started paying this guy. He hasn't done anything yet. Like he's literally the guy who comes in on a rookie contract on, let's just say a football team, right? Rookie contract. He goes through the first week of two a days, mini camps, and he wants to renegotiate his contract. He literally hadn't played in a game yet. He, he was just somebody we thought had promise and he's trying to renegotiate before he ever gets in the game. So we're like, okay, the only way we can evaluate his salary is if we evaluate his job performance. Like there has to be something that we use to, to say, this is why we are going to actually change your structure because you've done all this already. It's like super good momentum. Like we're really excited about you. So we have to evaluate him. And I, I personally was going to wait at least 90 days before I gave him a, like a formal evaluation. Cause I just don't think it's fair. You can't come in at that level and make a splash in, in 30 or 60 days. It's just not realistic. Right. Um, so like a president gets elected, you don't evaluate the president three months in do his like 10, you can't, he has, he's done nothing. Right. So, but he's forcing us to, cause he wants to renegotiate. So when we sat down to, to evaluate him, we're like, okay, so what do you feel about this? I'm not thrilled. I don't like it. Well, what about this? Don't like it. And we start sharing stories of what we have seen of him throughout the office and conversations that we've had with employees. And we're, we're coming up where both of us were kind of unhappy and concerned, but we hadn't talked to each other yet because we agreed to give it at least like 90 to 120 days before we come back and evaluate the guy, give him a chance. And this is, this is you and your partner now. Me and my partner are talking, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 But we're like, he's forcing us to evaluate him earlier than we wanted to. So let's do it. And, and our evaluation was neither one of us are happy. Like if we have to make a decision, he's gone. Like, so he said he can't work under his salary that he's currently working under. And we agreed there's no way on earth he's getting a raise right now. No way we're changing anything. It, it, it's a puzzle that solves itself. Like he can't work. We're not giving a raise. He fired himself basically or he quits, right? So we pull him in the office and we're like, hey, listen, here's the deal. 
you came to us, you said you can't work under this situation. We've evaluated you. We've, we've really taken time to like consider all the options and angles and how we could look at this. And at the end of the day, we're not going to change your structure. It's just not happening. There's no way we're changing it. So because you said you can't, you literally can't focus and work under this structure. I guess we all agree that this relationship is over because you can't work and we're not changing it. It's a rock and a hard place. And he said, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. Hold on now. I, I can work under this structure. And we're like, wait a minute. You said you couldn't. And you basically threw down an ultimatum and said, you change it or I can't work like this. And we're just telling you we're not changing it. And because you can't, you've already tipped your hand. You're not effective because you're not happy. So we're going to have to, we're going to have to accept your resignation because that's really what you did. And he, a little teary-eyed, you know, he, he was kind of like backtracking hardcore, like, no, 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 like, I can do it. Let me just keep going. I can, I'll be fine. And we're like, no, you basically already told us what you think. And, and we're just, we're in, and unfortunately you made us evaluate you and we're not happy with what's happening. And maybe it's our fault. Maybe it's your fault. Maybe it's shared. I don't know, but we're not happy and we're not willing to fix it at this point. And we're not willing to pay you more and all this. So, that was the end of him. He lasted, I think it took us, a, took us a couple of weeks to kind of evaluate and talk to some employees and just kind of get a sense of things. So within less than 90 days, he was gone. Because so, so at that time, at that time, he was, if I remember right, he, Nate, was, Nate was up and running in my company. He was, he was starting to get kind of rolling a little bit and he was working with some of the other COOs in the, in the mastermind group. So we had yeah. like a couple, we probably had like just two or three, I think we had three CEO, COOs that were meeting on a somewhat regular basis and he was involved in that, right? Yeah, he was. Yep. Did, did you ever reach out to Nate or ask him what he, what he thought about him? Did you guys ever take any feedback from there or what, was it too early in, in mine and Nate's relationship? Too I think it was too early in your guys's and it was, too, it was really, he hadn't met with them more than once or twice, I think. I, and plus I didn't reach out because once, once we compare, my partner and I compare notes and once I really, I wasn't even allowing myself to contemplate too much how I felt about him. I, I just didn't think it was fair. And I know that I'm, I can be very uh, like impatient, right? So I have to sometimes throttle myself back. And I know that when I feel myself getting impatient and I, and I intellectually know I'm being unreasonable, I have to sometimes like regulate myself. Okay. So I didn't, I purposely didn't allow myself to contemplate too deeply how happy I was because he was so new. Um, but once we did, it was so obvious that he just wasn't the right guy. Like he, you know, fool us once kind of a thing. So I didn't go to Nate because even if Nate said, no, I think he's really great. I think it was too far gone. Yeah. You know, he, he said, I, I can't work under the circumstances. Circumstances aren't going to change. He can't work. Yeah. And it was, it was definitely early on. I think we, we may have been like six months into our relationship, Nate and I, at that point. And we were, he was just starting to take over some, some of the things and we're still, yeah. I was still like kind of heavily involved in my business if I remember right, because yeah. I remember having conversations with you about him and I, yeah. I kind of knew some of the story, but the, you know, it, I talked about it on the podcast with Jocko. It's that kind of dichotomy, right? We either are like, we're both very impatient people and we want things done like two days ago, three days ago, a week ago, and we haven't even mm -hmm. told you yet. And so what we see is we can either be really relaxed with them or we can be really like right in there in the Cheerios yeah. with them, right? So yeah. like there's, 
it's somewhere in the middle. Finding that balance is hard for people like us that are really impatient. So we usually, what I find is if I don't think about it or plan for it or structure it, I either err one side or the other of this. Yeah, and too. it's kind of, it can be really unfortunate for people like us when we err to the side of really being lackadaisical and not checking up and seeing what they're doing. Because I think for a COO that's going to come in is definitely one of the most critical hires that you're going to make. And just making sure that they're producing something in the beginning, like they're making the, that step and that movement in the right direction yeah, and yeah. seeing that. Because I still remember the first day that Nate kind of took over. He left my office. We agreed on an amount of money and he stayed up. And I told the story before he stays up all like all night, basically and two o'clock in the morning. He sends me this email with this like chart and graph of past performance and all these numbers that he created in this diagram and said, here's what he thinks we can do next year in like six hours. And that's the second that I knew that I was like, wow, okay, this guy can produce something at a higher level than I can. And this is really impressive to me because obviously you know me well enough, I think very highly of myself. So <laughs> it's, it, you know, the kind of people that we are when we see stuff like that, uh, that was a joke, by the way, if you're listening. Um, the, <laughs> I laugh, but I didn't laugh loud because I want people to think you're just super conceited. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, I'm conceited enough to make fun of myself. So we, um, uh, when I saw that, I was really impressed by it. And then if that was it, like if then he took the next two weeks and just kind of like put in the earbuds and sat in the, the office and, you know, hammered out uh, typing on his computer and didn't do anything else, then I would see a problem. But I kept seeing these, these kind of things and he would, Sometimes you have that person that just shows you like just enough that you think that they're working really hard. Yeah. And then there's the other people that you could tell they're just working really hard. Like yeah. in, in a company like ours where we're working, sometimes we have to work 80 hours a week and sometimes we have to work 30 hours a week. You know, when you're messaging that person at 11 o'clock at night and they're responding to you or they're yeah. sending you an email at midnight because they, they had to get all the stuff done in time or yeah. they're jumping in to go on that appointment because nobody else is available and somebody's on vacation. And that's the kind of, pitch in that we need, especially when we're a small company. And obviously it was probably pretty clear to the, that, that you didn't have that in the beginning. And I remember you telling me a little bit of a story about him kind of like, um, he, like certain working hours were just like blocked oh, off for these hours. Yeah, I forgot was, about that. I, I did no, forget like, to say that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. in a company like ours, when it's like, <laughs> like what's your policy on Columbus day, yeah. you know, it, that question and things like that start to come up and you're, you're yeah. starting to question yourself and scratch your head. And then, so I think like in listening to all of this and putting it together for the listeners who have listened to the past few podcasts, I think really the answer here is he's clearly not a core value fit for either you or your partner. No, he wasn't. And I, I forgot to mention that. You're totally right. Uh, yeah, he was, a, he was a come in at like 7.30, 8 o'clock, leave by three guy. Like that was his, and he was pretty, I mean, he was a super laid back guy, but he was pretty rigid about that policy. That was something he, uh, he was pretty strict about. So even yeah. I could not change the policy. Like, <laughs> exactly. <you know. laughs> it, it, I'm sorry. It's our policy here. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know if it's coming through, but I, I, it's, it's super, it's still frustrating to me. And the worst part is, is a guy like you and a guy like me, cause we're similar, similar in a lot of ways. My frustration's really with myself. Like I'm, I'm, I'm furious about the whole thing. And it, you might interpret that as like, wow, he's really still pissed at that guy. I'm not, I'm pissed at me. I, I had a warning sign in, in the coffee shop and it wasn't huge, but it sort of, and this is something that, that Nate and I have talked about too, is you know, you have analytics, you have pro personality profiles, you have core values that you want to match them to. You have an interview where you get to know their personality. And then you have a kind of a soft factor and that is your gut. 
And your gut shouldn't be the only thing used to make decisions, but it also shouldn't be something you ignore when it's talking to you. And my gut was talking to me and I ignored it because I was at the closing table buying that car and someone threw out this $250 charge that I wasn't expecting. And I just sort of brushed it off and said, eh, let's just move forward. Right. So it's shame on me. And, and, you know, after having had um, Jocko's team come in and talk to us, it's even more enforced. And and we'll, we'll talk about it as we move forward chronologically into the next round. But um, I probably wasn't taking as much on in saying it was my fault back then. I was looking at more like this guy totally fooled us. Like he was just coming here and, and he's just like this beach guy, like super laid back guy who didn't want to work. He wanted to just kind of breeze in and breeze out at his own hours. He wasn't engaging with our people and he just threw earbuds in and and did God knows what on his computer while he was there. So he wasn't producing anything, but I will say this, and this will be a through line today probably is, and I, and I, I don't want to say my weakness as everybody's listening as their weakness, but I think it's common with with entrepreneurs and people who are drivers, right? If you know what the disc assessment looks like or how you, any of these assessments, nobody is like a hundred percent all the way across the board. That's, I, I don't know that I've ever seen that. I don't even know if it exists, right? You have people who are like 50% across the board where they're very evenly balanced and they have a lot of strengths and things, but nothing crazy high or crazy low. So I have crazy high, like, driver and and this kind of thing and crazy low when it comes to like repetitive tasks and details and things like that. So I will say I am not the best like manager when it comes to bringing someone in and giving them a set of like a rule, a playbook and details and really being thorough with them. I'm the guy who basically stands on the 50 yard line and says, there's the end zone. See that, see that line at the 50 yards away, that line, that's where I need you to be. So you get there, however you want to get there, but get there, right? Where you, I really need more of the, this is how you get there thing. And I I tend to just point in the distance and say, that's your target, go get it. And that's not fair and it's not good. And I'm not saying the guy would have worked out. I know for a fact he would not have worked out. He just wasn't the right guy. He didn't take accountability. He certainly wasn't, he didn't have the work ethic we needed. But from my side of it, I probably didn't do my part either. So that's just hindsight. Well, I think it's I think it's really good. Obviously, now looking back, that we take ownership for our things, and that's been a, the common theme in what we've been talking about in this leadership cycle and and flip hacking live and everything else that we've done is really yeah. just thinking what could I have done better. So, what were some of those lessons that you learned from this that we that that took you to the next one? Because obviously, you guys didn't just say, "Well, screw it, we we don't know what we're doing. We're not going to hire a COO. We're just going to keep doing it ourselves." You went out to look for somebody else, right? Yeah, we went out to look for somebody else. Um, lessons, I mean, the lessons that I learned was, and I didn't, I didn't really learn this actually as thoroughly as I should have in that lesson because, or in that, that round of, of hiring because I, I, didn't, I didn't know, there were certain things about myself that I wasn't acutely aware of. I, I wasn't aware, I was aware of my strengths, put it that way. I wasn't as aware of my weaknesses as I should have been back then. So I knew what I was great at. And I think I was in denial about what I was not great at. And one of the things that I've learned, and we use, um, I don't know if you talked about it on this podcast, but something called the culture index, right? We, we got trained in that and we, we brought that into our company. And through that process, um, I started seeing patterns of other uh, uh, personality profiles and assessments that I've taken in the past. You know, it's part of my personality, but I look at what I'm good at and I go, yeah, that's me. All right. And I don't always look at the other side of the, of the, of the coin there and go, well, 
it's saying I'm stinky at this, but you know, I, I didn't consciously do this, but on some level I just disregard it. Cause I'm like, eh, I can make up for that, whatever. But when you see time after time, if you do these evaluations and they keep telling you you're weak in certain areas, it became acutely aware. To, uh, 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 I became acutely aware of what I'm not good at. And I've actually in the last year and a half, two years, I've, I've sort of embraced it, not in that I'm proud of it or I like it or I, or I don't think I can ever get better, but I've also kind of taken the philosophy of you should really lean into what you're great at and, and find ways to compensate for what you're not great at, but don't spend all your time trying to get great at what you are inherently horrible at. It's not necessarily the best use of your time. So um, I, didn't, I didn't know that as well back then. So I don't think I learned my own lessons as well as I should have. Um, but I did learn some things for sure. And, and I, I, I kicked myself for not listening to my gut more. I, I should have listened to my gut more. And I pretty much resolved that my gut won't make my decisions, but I'm not going to ignore it. Because honestly, over, over the past several years of running my business, I have ignored my gut more often than listened to it. And it almost always bites me in the butt. Almost always. So you know, listening to your gut is such an abstract thing. Like, well, how do you know it's, I don't know what, it's my gut talking. What if it's fear, right? And you don't want to necessarily let fear rule you. Or what if I'm desperate and I need this? Like, is that my gut or is that not my gut? Like, sometimes people don't know how to like filter what is their gut. I'm just telling you, I've gotten good at knowing when my gut's telling me something. So I've gotten better at doing that over the last couple of years. But lessons learned, if, if you feel bad about something right from the get-go, you might want to really evaluate it a little closer, especially when it's like a, a COO level person. Like I, and not to like put down any position, but I wasn't hiring someone to like, you know, paint my house. Like it was someone who was going to run my company. So I, I really should have taken a little bit more time to evaluate the things that were concerning me about him. Uh, there was a lack of, he had no experience in our industry, which I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But I, I believed his, his spiel too much about traction and his ability with that. As it turns out, he doesn't know that much about traction either, frankly. He was, he was, but he was a good salesperson, so that might have been the right position in, in hindsight. But, um, you know, he wanted to run the show. Yeah. So we talked about on the podcast, we have talked about different personality profiles. I said that we use an expensive one. I don't necessarily know that I've used uh, said culture index, but for those of you guys that are listening, that costs us a uh, uh, I would say a, a significant amount of money if you're just getting started. Yeah. Uh, so don't go like, don't go out and, and set up an appointment with somebody unless you're ready for that. If you've got somewhere between, I don't know, eight and 15 employees or something like that, and you're growing and you're building the company, it's valuable for sure. But yeah. there's a lot of services that are free, like the disc test, the yeah. uh, uh, Colby is a, a little bit lower paid product. Um, there's Myers-Briggs. There's lots of different personality profiles that you can use as you move up. Um, one is uh, Wise Hire is a company that it goes out there on a monthly subscription and, and can set up your ads and sends it out to Indeed and a bunch of other services and they build in the disc test for you. There's yeah. lots of things that are a lot cheaper. We're talking uh, tens of thousands of dollars a year yeah, for yeah, Culture yeah. Index. So we use it as a company. I love it. But the other thing is it's not a, a lot of people call me and say, Hey, I just need, I need to get this. And that's all I need. It's going to be my, my silver bullet. It'll be the thing that solves all my hiring problems. Eh, yeah, wrong. No, no. It's not, it's not. And you also have to actually use it and use it correctly and focus yeah. on it. So a yeah. lot of these entrepreneurs and not detail oriented people don't use it like we use it as a company. And it is a great tool, but it's just that it's one of the tools in your toolbox to find this right person. Yeah. And the other one, you said it, it's know yourself, understand yourself, actually 
it's okay. Like having those weaknesses, I know you talked about like struggling with them and you just push them off and, oh yeah, I'll just correct for those. But actually knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are and leaning into that, that's one of the most important things, I think, especially if you're going to go out and look for somebody, even if it's your first hire, what, where are those areas that you're weak? And instead of going and spend a bunch of time about looking at, you know, focusing on your weaknesses and making them a lot stronger and, and learning all that stuff, go find somebody that's really strong where you're weak and maybe weak where you're really strong. And it's a great yeah. compliment. My dad and I talked about that for the partnership thing. When he partnered up with his business partner, they had very, like his business partner was really good at going out and like schmoozing the clients and getting the contracts and doing the sales. And my dad was really good at the fulfillment side of the business and making sure yeah. that the jobs get done. He could bring the jobs in the door. My dad made sure that they got done. So it's a really good match. And my dad being an electrical engineer and him being a mechanical, it was like the perfect kind of yin and yang as he called it on that at last interview that I did. So embrace it, accept your weaknesses. It's okay. I've gotten to know myself way better over the last four years running this business than I ever thought I ever would in my life. <laughs> Me too. Me and too. it's almost kind of like scary sometimes where I'm just like, uh, I'm sorry. I know that I'm going to fail at that before I get started. It's just not in my wheelhouse. You know what though? It, it, for for a lot of people, I, I keep referencing you and I, but I, entrepreneurs in general, I think a lot of times have a bit of an ego and they're very confident and not all of them, but a lot of times. But I'll tell you, it's actually a little bit liberating when you just see what you are and, and you're very honest about it, good and bad, right? It's it, when you know what you're bad at, it's, it's just that self-awareness, man, it's liberating and it's actually powerful. You'll, you'll do better and be better if you understand what you're not great at in addition to what you are great at or what, what you excel at. So I don't know, man, it's super liberating. It sometimes it feels like a, I don't know if you agree with this bill, but sometimes it in my brain, because I, I don't like admitting that I can't do something or I'm bad at something, it feels like a cop out a little bit, but it, the reality is I'm not helping anybody. Like if my wife asks me to do something that is not in my wheelhouse or I'm not great at, she never would cause she knows me better now. But if she did and I'm like, no problem, like I'm, I'm doing her, her a huge disservice if I'm not being honest with her or with myself about whether or not I'm going to be successful at that. Like it's just, you're wasting people's time and you're really, you're, you're setting everybody up for failure. So I don't know. I'm, I'm glad that I've kind of come to terms with it a little bit. And I don't think it doesn't mean you can't be aware of the things you're bad at. And like, you know, let's just give it a little, little more effort to try to be a little better, but just say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to take this disc again in a year. And, and my S and C is going to be a hundred. Like it's just not, you're it's never going to be that way. So I don't know. It's just yeah. good to know yourself. Yeah. I, I'm a similar, uh, the, the one thing that I do want to highlight is if, if you're running a business and like half of it, you're really bad at, and you know, it, it doesn't mean that you just only do half of it. Right. Exactly. Do. So exactly. I feel like sometimes people will use that and just be like, I'm not doing that because I'm really bad at it. And as a business owner, entrepreneur, everything that we're doing, sometimes we've got to just dive in there. And totally. usually it falls into that. I, I don't like it, but I'm good at it or okay at it, or I can get it done. Um, yeah. But I agree. Usually like, I don't know if my wife asked me to do stuff. I just kind of have to do it even if I'm really bad at it. So, um, but in the company, and then the other thing is finding those people who are okay with that. They're strong there and they also know that you're not as strong and they know that that's why they were brought in. So, yeah. th you know, bringing this guy in and saying, hey, you know, I need you to be doing this because I'm not so good at it. The other 
that if you bring in the right person, they're fine with it. You bring in the wrong person, the wrong core values, the wrong fit, the wrong personality, they could take advantage of that too and say, well, hey, Mike's not actually not really good at that. So, and he's not, he's not even going to check up that I'm doing it. So I'm not going to, I'm going to save some time over there by maybe not doing that or not focusing on it. And it almost sounds a little bit like that's what was happening. You, you told him what you wanted to do, what, uh, what he needed to do. And he's like, and he knew kind of knew you weren't going to check up on him, then had a big month. And I can assume that he was going to come to you guys and say, look what I did. Like we had this awesome month. We had this, this sales guy did such a great job. That was a lot of me, you know? So a lot of times people will take credit where credit's not due and just kind of make it look like that. So, um, okay. So you, you, this guy was uh, fired himself, I guess. And then you, you guys, did you guys go straight to look for somebody else? Did you take some time and reevaluate and regroup and see what you did wrong? And then, and then come up with a plan for the next guy? Yeah, we, we did not hire someone. We didn't go back out there right away. We, we definitely said, all right. So that was, that didn't work. It was a really, really bad attempt. Um, you know, let's, let's just kind of cool our jets a minute. We don't have to rush back out there. Matter of fact, we just did like, we just threw this wide net out. Right. And that's what we came up with. So we didn't just throw the net out again. We said, let's just hold on. Let's just take a minute here. Right. So we really didn't go back out and start looking for about a year. So there was a year between the time that he quit is what I'm saying and and the time that we hired the next person and we hi- the next person that we hired really wasn't a result of us going out and, and casting a net again the guy when we did the first round and we made a hot list right people that we knew in our in our market in our network our warm network of people a guy that was on the top of both of our lists not like number one like this is <clears throat> this is the you know the unicorn this is the person we want wasn't available, wasn't leaving, too highly paid, you know, just basically entrenched in the company he worked for. So he wasn't even on the table the first time around. Second time around, we weren't necessarily looking, but we found out through common acquaintances acquaintances, that uh, his company had downsized or right-sized or whatever, and he had been let go. High-paid guy, been there a long time, they let him go, right? which I don't think is necessarily a red flag. I still don't, even after everything has gone on. I think it was just part of just corporate life. He's a little, he was a little bit older guy, made a lot of money. It's just, they were cutting expenses. So um, we found out he was available and we just shot him a message and said, Hey, uh, if we were to, to want to talk to you about this, would you even be interested in, in entertaining it? And he wrote us back and he's like, absolutely. I would, I would love to talk to you about that. Now, a little bit of background, and, and I'm, I'm being slightly vague because I, I, there's no point in causing problems with hard feelings, you know, but he had been in real estate longer than me. He, he was actually a guy that when I started in real estate in 08, he was already established in my local market and kind of seen as like a go-to guy, like someone who really has their stuff together. And I was, number one, intimidated by the guy when I first was around him because he seemed so successful in real estate and he was so well known and connected and, um, and just like a good, good guy. So like a nice guy, smart guy, um, really looked up to him. Like I won't say a mentor because I, he didn't mentor me, but he, I was, in, I was part of a local paid mastermind, right? So it was a little bit more than just like a RIA you had to pay. It was like, I don't know, 200 bucks or something a month, but you'd go and there'd be like dinner and, and, and like it was a room full of about 30 people as opposed to like 150 at like a RIA, right? 
So he was, he was one of the guys at this thing. Like everyone knew that he was do, actually doing stuff. Cause that was a good thing about this group too. It wasn't full of people who had never done anything. Most of them were active on some level. Even if they were new, they were still active. So in that group, he was sort of like a kind of a, kind of a star. So anyways, I knew him from back then. It lost touch a little bit that that group kind of dissolved um, after, I don't know, 2012 or something. It dissolved and didn't have a lot of contact with him, but I saw him kind of out there. We would run into him when we were on like appointments with, with homeowners and we knew he was doing deals and, and still running this business, but he was working full time. He'd always been a full time employee at a company and always did it part time. So, and he's been out there. And then at, at somewhere around like 2016, we started partnering with him on, on certain deals. He would, he, would, he would find deals and because he worked all day, we could go out and work them and go to the, the appointments and get the contracts and we would kind of deal split. So we had this business relationship with him for about two, two and a half, three years. And then we found out he was, he was you know, not working at the same company, had been let go, reached out to him and he's like, absolutely, I'd like to talk. So that's a little bit of the background. Knew him knew his character. I had spent many of evenings talking to him and getting to know him. And then he, we did, we were business partners sort of like in terms of his business would partner with my business. We'd collaborate on deals and, and we were making good money doing that. Good guy, smart guy. So we, we talked to him. Um, the, the interview process wasn't that long because we had kind of had this guy circled, you know, on the whiteboard for a couple of years. And I, I knew more about him than I was ever going to learn through an interview process. Anyway, we did have him take a, a personality profile that came back better than we could have hoped. Like he was, ex according to the profile, he was exactly the guy we want. He, he, he ticked all the boxes, has a finance background, has, he, he did project management. He was a high level, C-level kind of a guy, not necessarily C-level, but very high level guy at a large local company. Um, that's a key thing. That's something that's, uh, we'll do a callback later, but he worked for a large company and he managed a lot of people. Um, and, and he was interested and we kind of stretched a little bit on his, on his salary. Um, I don't want to get too deep into that, but it was way more than the first guy, put it that way, way more, yeah. not even close. Um, but we, we had a way to do it where, it was a little bit performance based. There was some bonus structure in there, right? But for the first 90 days, because he said, and, and, we, and I acknowledge, you, you literally are not going to make an impact that's going to hit the bottom line the first 90 days. It's not impossible. If you come in day one and change everything for the better, it still will take 90 days to hit the bottom line, most likely. So <clears throat> because of that, he negotiated a higher base salary for the first 90 days, which honestly... In hindsight, I don't even know that I regret because I think it was fair and logical. He had a certain um, salary that he was hitting when, when he was working in corporate. And I get it. He could go back into corporate. I get that too. So we agreed to a higher base. Um, and then that transitioned after 90 days into uh, a little bit lower base with a much higher uh, bonus structure and possibility down the road. So, and by the way, we were doing other business with his separate company still, right? So he was still driving leads for us separately from his employment with us. That didn't stop. He, and that was part of the agreement too. He didn't want to have to stop that because that was a source of income for him that made the whole transition easier too. So bring him in. So let's, let's recap. <clears throat> the guy has worked in corporate, highly 
um, paid, highly thought of guy in his company for all, for all intents and purposes. He had been in real estate longer than me. Um, you know, he had been, I, I know he's not full of crap because he's driving leads and business into our company and we're making a lot of money based off of what he's bringing in. So I know he has, he has the knowledge. He had been even a real estate coach for a number of years in, in a certain segment of the kind of leads he was driving. He was coaching people how to drive those kind of leads in other markets, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean he knows what he's talking about. There's a lot of people full of crap out there, but I knew him personally. I knew he was, I know he has a, a, a depth of knowledge that most people wouldn't have coming in. Um, so we brought him in. He knows the business. He knows our business because he'd been dealing with us for a couple of years. He had been inside of our CRM uh, on a limited basis for just so he could see his deals. So he knew our, our personnel. He knew our process. He knew our people, pretty much everybody he had dealt with in our company. So you look at this on paper and you go, well, this will be like, we'll hit the ground running. There will be zero ramp up time here because what am I going to tell him that he hasn't already seen? There's, there's some nuances. Certainly our, our, you know, some of the, the details about how we run our business and just some of the logistics inside the company, he'd have to learn that. But, you know, it's pretty straightforward for a guy with his experience. All right. I'll, I've been talking for a while. Do you have questions? I see you writing things down. If you don't, I'll keep going. But I, I didn't know if you want to jump in at any point. No, I think it's interesting here. So you've got somebody who seems to tick all the boxes, right? And I have uh, some limited experience with him and you guys were kind of quiet on this hire. It wasn't like uh, like the one before where you were like, hey, we found the guy. This is going to be awesome. We got the COO. And yeah. the first guy, when you hired the first guy, it was a time and I, well, I'll probably come back to this, but it's a time where a lot of people inside of our mastermind group, high level mastermind group that we had at Seven Figure Flipping were hiring COOs. It was like this, mm -hmm. this push of, yeah. okay, we've all hit seven figures, multiple seven figures in profit. It's time to go out and figure out how to do this. And so it was a time where it was like me, you, it was, it was probably six or seven of us who were putting COOs in place at that time and trying to do all this kind of together. So, yep. um, and it's almost like our original race to a million. It was like the race to, it was like a COO challenge. Like who could get removed from their business versus how I felt. And I don't yeah. know if it, if it was right or, but that's just what it seemed to be the conversation at the time where people wanted help with that. And there were all the eight to 10 companies that were trying to do it at the same time. So, yep. Um, yep. okay. So you brought this guy in, he's a little bit older coming from corporate America. He's been in real estate longer than you. He's doing all this stuff. So, um, so, okay. Like what happened? It's, you've, you've already, you haven't even teased us with the fact that he's not any long, not with you anymore, but um, like what, what was it? And I, it, it's, it sounds like a good guy. He's a guy who knows, he knows what he's doing. He's been successful in corporate America. Um, like my biggest question is why wasn't he successful in like a small company in the real estate world? Like you guys were running. And maybe on top of that, what did you expect to get that you didn't necessarily get? Because sometimes it's like, like you said, you got the systems, you got the process, you got all this stuff set up. He already knows your business. He's in there. Yeah. What do you expect him to do? So, man, there's a lot to talk about here. So, <laughs> um, but the expectation was, right, kind of what we talked about at the beginning of this, of this discussion, right? What, what's the ultimate goal here? What were we driving for from the moment we met Andy and kind of learned what his business was about and how he was running it is someone to come in and take over the day to day so that I could pull myself out and either pursue other things that I'm interested in or maybe take this business to the next level by, you know, introducing new, new things that maybe we weren't into at the time, right? Like, I don't even know 
but you know, maybe new construction or whatever, like syndications, like apartments, like who knows, maybe there was some other step that we could take, but it's hard when you're, when you're like feet on the ground and you're actually digging the holes yourself, like you can't run the company. So the idea was to, was to truly get out of the day to day and have someone who's more than qualified to take all of that over and, and take it to the next level. Because like I said, his, his background was in finance too, um, from like Ivy league finance, like Ivy league uh, graduate and years of decades of experience in running teams and and processes and hiring and firing. Like really my expectation was this guy's going to come in and I am going to feel like I'm going to feel super inadequate because he's going to blow my doors off because I knew that the guy made me feel inadequate eight years earlier when I knew him in more of just like a, uh, he's a real estate investor. I'm a real estate investor. He's been doing it longer than me. I was super impressed by the guy. Well, fast forward, you know, almost a decade. Like I can't even imagine what he knows that I don't know at this point. And, and I just thought he's going to blow my doors off. So, um, he gets into the company. Now I will say this right off the bat. I'm not going to tease this and I don't really want to uh, wait till the end and dive into it deeply. I, I, one thing I learned that I, I didn't accept or didn't, uh, I didn't embrace fully the first time around was what a poor job I did, um, managing that person the first time. I didn't do a much better job the second time, but my rationale at the time was this guy probably knows more than I do. Number one, once he learns our internal specific processes, which aren't that robust, but once he learns the internal processes, he's just going to be, he's going to, he's going to start performing magic and in front of my eyes. And I'm going to be amazed at what this guy can do. Now, this to me, this is something I would caution anybody about who's running a business, doing, you know, gross profits and getting into that six and seven figure range. And you, and you kind of feel like you bring someone in who has a lot of credentials. Don't assume because someone has had success somewhere else that they're going to come in and and you are just going to be like a child dealing with a grown adult. Like, don't discount how much you know. It's very, it's very easy and common for people who are good at something to sort of go, eh, I'm not that great at, right? Like we see it all the time. People think when they, like, you know, we, people come into like the mastermind, seven figure flipping, for example, because this just happened. This is why I'm bringing it up. And there was a guy who came in and he's like, I don't have anything to share with the group. Like I don't have any special skills. I'm not doing anything interesting to anybody. Well, here's what the guy does. He does 80 deals a year without any marketing at all. Like, None, zero marketing dollars, 80 deals a year, right? So sometimes we don't give ourselves credit for what we know. So when this guy came in, going back to my situation now, when this guy came in, I thought he's just going to make me look silly, right? He's going to run circles around me. So we brought him in, kind of told him what we wanted and and explained where we were, where we wanted to go, what his, our expectation was for him. And at the time we were, we were getting ready to do a quarterly meeting, like our quarterly, um, like meeting to talk about like our big objectives for the next 90 days and all this stuff. So we brought him in on that and that was great. Good feedback. It was all good. We laid down some objectives and he had some, some rock, what we call rocks, right? In traction. He had some larger tasks or projects that he was going to be working on for 90 days. We leave that meeting, we go back and we start working right throughout the month in the, in the coming months. And we're st- I'm starting to notice that things, 
I don't see production. Like I'm not seeing anything actually get done. Right. And kind of the same objective with him, like, Hey, sit and talk to the people, like sit in their, in their seats for a while. You don't have to do the work, but just like observe and, and get to know everybody at a little bit deeper level. And, and let's, one thing we wanted to do was let's nail down our, our procedures and our processes. Like that's a great place for someone. I, th- I thought to someone to start in that role who doesn't know our specific processes and procedures intimately is sit with the people, learn it, document it, flesh it out so that we have sort of this documentation department by department as he goes through. And at the end of like 30, 60, 90 days, we'll have a whole company will be documented by the guy who's running it and it will be very current because he will have just done it. And at the meet, in the meantime, or during that process, he'll not only get to know the people way better, he'll get to know exactly what they do very intimately. It'll be a nice way to kind of get the introduction to the company. So, you know, we would ask for updates and it's like, you know, we would see not much, not much, not much. At the end of this like 60 days, we're like, all right, we need to see something like show us what you're doing. Right. Well, prior to him coming into the company, we had been in existence for, you know, two or three years already. And we had, we had done processes and procedures in the past and they were a little bit outdated. Some of them were not relevant anymore because we don't do them that way. Um, and, and what, long story short, because this could be a real long story, what he brought to the table, 80 to 90% of it was stuff that had already been created. Stuff that we, I had created myself. I recognized it because I did it, you know, two years earlier or my partner had done it a couple years earlier. That was the, that was the, the product that was laid in front of us. And I was like, that was the first red flag where my gut went, holy crap, are you kidding me? He's passing this stuff off as things that he created. That's literally my document, my document. And, and that's, there was, there was not much there that I saw and, and anything that we didn't had already had not already created. He tasked the person in that department with creating it, right? Delegated it, which isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world, but the, the goal or what we asked of him was for him to do it. I don't want them to do it. I want you to do it because I wanted him to have that experience of actually going through it, creating the process himself. And I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be coherent and I wanted it to be cohesive, not a bunch of ad hoc things that are thrown together that sort of are like choppy and don't make sense. I wanted it to be a, a nice documentation that flowed properly and people could follow it logically if they were brought into the company brand new. And that's not what we got. Um, you know, I can tell you, I can tell you a lot of stories that would, that would really illustrate the lack of, of um, accountability that was happening at the time. Um, uh, but I'll tell you one. And so this person came to me and said, what's your policy on like your dress code? What's your dress code in this company? By the way, we have a physical office. Okay. So we're not virtual. What's your dress code policy? I said, I don't know that we have one, honestly, like it's common sense. And he said, well, how do you feel about shorts being worn in the office and flip flops? And I said, I personally don't care unless they're going to be interfacing with like a, like a client, right? Like a customer, a buyer or seller, like for closings, let's, let's just put on jeans and a halfway nice shirt. Right. And he's like, okay. Um, all right. I'm going to, I'm going to institute a policy. And I said, okay, that's fine. Whatever, whatever you want to do. I don't care. Right. So very hands off. So he does. And, and, and the guy who was wearing shorts and flip flops stopped and I was like, okay, 
whatever. It's fine. I, I don't have a strong feeling about this. Fast forward, the guy's not working with us. We already gave away the ending of the story. But the guy who was wearing shorts and flip-flops after the COO had been let go, he came to me and he's like, I just have a, one question. It's been nagging at me. And I said, what? And he said, did you tell him to not let me wear shorts and flip-flops in the office? Because I had been wearing them for two years in the summertime. And you've never said a word to me about it. And I said, I, I said he came to me and, and said he didn't like it and wanted to do something about it. He didn't think it was appropriate for the office. And I said, go for it. And he goes, okay. Because when he came in my office, he said, listen, I got some bad news, man. I don't, I don't even want to have to tell you this, but he goes, this comes straight from, from the top, man. This is straight from ownership. And he's like, what? He goes, you can't wear shorts and flip-flops in the office. And he goes, he goes, the guy goes, oh, wow, really? Well, I've been wearing them for a couple of years. What, what happened? He goes, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, they just, they were pissed. They came to me and they were pissed. So I'm just relaying the message to you, man. I'm the messenger. Don't kill me. And he's like, okay, no problem. I'll, I'll stop wearing shorts. It's not a big deal. I just was, seemed strange. And he goes, I don't know, man. Don't ask me. I don't know. And I'm like, oh, man. Uh, okay, well, that just showed me, you know, what, what was going on there. And, and, and I, actually, when we had to let him go, like, he wasn't happy about it. And, and he started pointing fingers at people, even in that environment where we're like, hey, this isn't gonna, this isn't gonna be able to continue, we got to let you go. Like, he just started throwing people under the bus and like, just, just submarining people like crazy. I was like, gosh, it, it, and, and, it, and I go back and I look at it now critically with hindsight. And often when we were in meetings, just me and my partner and the COO, we would have meetings once a week when he first started because we just thought more contact, the better for in the beginning. Um, there was a lot of finger pointing going on in those meetings. And, and I really, again, my gut, right? But I really thought, wow, so these people are really like, maybe he's opening my eyes a little bit. Like I've been naive about some people and what's going on here. And I didn't really take the time to think, yeah, they're probably doing what he says. That's fine. But he, as a leader, like he's, he's just pointing fingers. He's taking no responsibility for any of this. He's just throwing people under the bus and, and criticizing. And, and by the way, taking credit for the good stuff and, and pointing fingers for the things that weren't working. And, you know, at the end of the day, we were paying him a lot of money, which is fine because we agreed to it. I have no qualms about what we were paying him at all. But the production wasn't there and, and there wasn't a lot of accountability. And I think going, now the callback I promised you, going back to where he came from, he came from an environment where as a department head, he didn't have to produce necessarily a ton because he had an entire staff underneath him that actually produced the work and he managed the people. And that's the structure he had been in for decades. And then he comes into a company where you know, as a COO of a, of a company of, of a small amount of people, you have to produce a little, like there's a little bit more accountability and there's a little bit more uh, that you're expected to do yourself because we just don't have 50 people on staff to do every conceivable thing. Like you have to be accountable and you have to produce certain things, especially when you're first starting out and we're asking you to produce documents that's going to not only help you familiarize yourself with the people in the process, but you've been asked for it and you've been there for a month or two and you're not producing at that level. And, you know, he, he told me more than once, he doesn't like being micromanaged. Like there was a lot of little things that were along the way that I should have said, I'm not a micromanager either. Like I'm definitely more hands off than I should be, but he made it clear 
four or five times in the short amount of time he worked with us that he doesn't work well when people are managing him directly. Like he needs to be left alone. And, and I did that. And, you know, at the end of the day, there was nothing that was, it, again, it was, it was a total lack of production, total lack of accountability. And I think he's a little bit of a victim of corporate mindset that, that he let kind of in the door of our company and, and it just doesn't work that way. So, yeah, I, I know, you know, like Nate, right. You went home six hours later, he produced a document that blew your mind. We never got such a document in our company, like nothing like that from a guy with a finance background and leading teams. And he's used to producing, you know, reports and documentation to show the health of the company. Like none of that. Yeah. I, it sounds, you know, a lot of times it's, listening to this, a little bit of that corporate mindset. It's like, they just need small changes in those businesses. A lot of times really big companies and stuff like that. You can show your value with a couple small changes and you can kind of get lost a little bit if you need to and things like that. And in a, like you said, in a small company, the, the, the radar is on you, you know, like everybody's looking right at you and everything is, is comes as a, as an output of the impact of just a couple people. Like in my company, yeah. every department is so small. You know, it's a couple, couple people, two, three people max. Maybe the sales department is six people, but you know, that's, you're, you're getting highlighted on a regular basis. Yeah. When somebody's not pulling their weight, it's obvious in a big way. Yeah. So, and the, 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 the magnifying glass is always on you. So some people yeah. like, I want somebody in my company who's going to, who, who thrives off of that, who's going to step up to that and who's going to take on that challenge. Not somebody who goes, get that thing away from me. Like I, I need yeah. to be over here with my earbuds in on the computer. So yep. I think, I think that comes like, it's a very, very clear that ownership core value of mine where it, nobody's pointing the finger at anybody else and take yep. responsibility. And a lot of that, somebody asked me the other day, like, how do you, how do you even, check for that. How do you ask somebody? Well, my, my best recommendation to them was in the interview process, ask them a question. Don't say, Hey, do you take ownership for things? When things don't go well, do you yeah. take, do you take ownership for it? Or do you blame other people? Don't ask them that. Who's going to say, no, I, no, I blame everybody <laughs> exactly. else. Exactly. Ask them, ask them if it's a salesperson, ask them the last deal that fell through. Tell them a story about a deal that you thought you were going to get and you did what happened and see if they say, Oh, you know, somebody else came in and started to talk bad about me and, um, and paid way more or they'll say something like, well, Hey, I didn't get this deal because of this, 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 and this. And, and from that, I learned that I should do this, that, and, and the other next time I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't pay enough. I could have paid a little bit more. I came in too light. Somebody else beat me out. They beat me fair, fair and square. And the next time I made sure that I did my research, I did my pre-work, all this stuff. I just wasn't prepared. And they, they either take ownership or they blame other people and other things. And it's anything as a COO, you know, tell me the, the last person that you had that was working for you that didn't work out. What happened? Yeah. Oh yeah. Hey, though they weren't doing this, that, and, and that's a good one because of, that's a good one. Cause that's very, very much. You're going to hear from a lot of people what yeah. that employee did wrong. And I told you, if you remember, and you laughed at me at the time back in May, I said, if this person doesn't work out, cause that was when we were first hired him. If he doesn't work out, it's my fault. Yep. It's my fault. Right. And I was, I was, it was, I meant it, but I was kind of, I knew I was going to get a reaction, but I meant it like, it's going to be my fault because that's how good on paper the guy was. And I stand by that is totally my fault. Right. Like all this that I'm saying, it's observation of what I saw, but please don't misunderstand me. By no means am I saying it's his fault that things didn't work out. It is absolutely my fault. And I know 
that it's my fault. I know it could have been identified sooner. I probably should have jumped in and managed a little bit more aggressively or a little bit more thoroughly. I know that when you hired Nate, because I've talked to Nate about it, talked to you about it, you guys were attached at the hip for quite some time. Like he, you were right there, like watching, and he was watching you for quite a while. And there's a lot of questions, and and I, I think you know the worst thing that could have happened was I hired someone that on paper and in my mind knew as much or more than I did, right? Kind of going back to that whole point, once he got in there and, and I was talking to him on a daily basis, because I was there, I was in the office, I was there on a daily basis. I wasn't monitoring him as closely as I should because I was trying to give him the work environment that he asked for and said that he thrives in. And it's not an excuse. I, I did it and I probably shouldn't have. Um, but as I talked to him and got into his head a little bit and, and situations would come up my company and I would kind of see like, what, what are you thinking here? What do you want to do? And this is no knock on him either. We have different paths and he's never done it full time. But I, I realized I, I know more. I, he, he didn't impress me as much as I thought he would with how much he was going to know about this industry and how to problem solve and, and all the, the things that go on in the company. Like I was underwhelmed that way a little bit. And, and, I, and that was surprising to me. And I probably could have identified the problems that we were having and my solutions or my corrective measures probably would have drove him out of the company sooner because he did not want to be managed, what he would call micromanaging, but what I called just managed, like literally just, just following up on things. Like it, 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 it irritated him. I could tell when I would ask him about like, hey, did you end up doing that? Or what'd you do here? So I, it would have drove him out sooner, which which was fine because that's probably was the result that would have ended up happening. It just took three or four months instead of a couple of months. But even three or four months sounds insanely fast. But to be honest with you, that feels slow to me because the minute I started getting into what was going on and taking a little more ownership, it just it dissolved fast. Yeah. So, okay. So we went through kind of both of your people, both the people that came in as a COO and aren't with you guys anymore. So I want to take it back to, in the beginning, we talked about who this is for. It could be for anybody. I know we dug kind of deep into the COO journey, looking for this higher, higher level executive yeah. type person that can take over the company. But these kind of learning lessons and techniques and procedures and interview questions and personality profiles and your weaknesses and your strengths and all of that stuff. Like if we wrapped it all up, all this stuff could be used for anybody that you bring in. Like yeah. the lessons learned, the yeah. takeaways here that you guys got, wherever in any walk of your real estate journey, in your professional journey where you are right now, you can take something from this and say, you know what? I did that too. Like take some of these lessons learned and think about your next hire and what you're going to do and what that looks like and, and how you're going to do it. We didn't necessarily kind of solve all your problems on this podcast and figure <laughs> out who the next person you're going to hire is going to yeah. be. But this is that kind of journey that we talk about here. I've, I've hired and had to let go and lots of people have quit in my company too. I remember when I was starting out, I felt like I had this, like my first couple of years, you remember being in the mastermind with us. I was like, I got the perfect team. I have this team that is going to be with me forever. I'm going to build off the backs of all of them. This company is going to grow organically around them. I want somebody that never wants to leave. They'll always work for me and everything will be great. And then I brought in my COO and next thing I know, the, the whole company is like going crazy and a lot of things are happening. Yeah. And 
it's, it's all part of our journey of where we are and where we want to go and the growth and the development of us personally and our company, getting to know ourselves better, which you did and I have done over the past few years, getting to know our people better. So the people analyzer in the EOS system is phenomenal. You put your yep. core values down, get it, want it, have the capacity for it. And if one of your core values was extreme ownership and you were analyzing some of these people, you probably would have very obviously said all they're doing is pointing the finger at somebody else and not themselves and taking responsibility for it. Even sometimes when it's not their responsibility to take. I yeah. want people in my company who say no, just like Jocko said on stage, he's there and in his book, Extreme Ownership, he talks about, I am, I'm there, we have this huge problem, somebody gets hurt and there's a blue on blue situation and I take ownership for it. No, I am the commander. It's ultimately my responsibility. Yeah. And another guy yeah. stands up and says, no, it's not your responsibility. It's my responsibility. I didn't do this. And another guy stands up and said, no, it's my responsibility. I didn't do this. I didn't give the proper training. And next thing you know, the whole team is standing up saying, no, it's my fault. And yep. that's the team that you want to build around you. Not, you don't take ownership as a leader to get them to all agree that it's their fault, but it's the fact that every single person is saying, I played a part in this. It's my problem too. And as you're building your company, you want people that are like that. So even if that's the first step and you're, you're weeding people out that way, we're going to talk a lot about like knowing yourself, knowing your strengths and weaknesses at this event, knowing who to hire, when to hire them, who to bring in, but focused as a, on a COO, like we're focused on the people who want to remove themselves from their businesses. So if you're just getting going, you're ramping up your company, you might be hiring your first person, you have one or two other people, you might be scratching your head going, man, this sounds a lot like the situation I'm in right now. Yeah. The biggest thing that I take away from this is you guys did something about it. You didn't wait six months, nine months, a year to make that decision, to continue to let it go, to continue to let these guys kind of come in and, and, and be the wrong fit inside the company. It's much better to make that decision early. I had to have a conversation with somebody that works for me personally yesterday. It was not an easy conversation with her. I just had to sit her down and say, hey, look, the communication's just not right. Some of the reliability is just not there. So let's, what can I do? Like, what do you need from us from the communicate? Am I communicating you to, to you in the right channel? Am I giving you what you need? What found out is, and it's somebody who, who manages our day to day here as a family and she just needs more notice. She needs a week. She needs the whole week up front. And I'm very, we're very like change plans, make schedule changes last minute. Hey, can you help? And when you yeah. can't, we're disappointed. Like all of these things. So it, from that conversation, she understood that I wasn't necessarily incredibly happy and, and where I, where we wanted to be. She does a great job with the kids and the family and everything like that. And for me, I got some feedback saying, Hey, we need to do better too. So yeah. from that, I got the communication of what she needs from me. She got the communication of what, um, what I need from her. So now we can say, okay, we had that conversation. It's been two months. The, take it the next month, see how it goes, meet back up again. So if, if you take nothing from this, make sure people are a value fit for you. They support you. They are the person that you need. It's the right person in the right seat, as they say in EOS. A lot of times you have the right person, but they're just not the right fit for your company. That, that guy is obviously the right fit for a corporate uh, company and has done a great job for a really long time. Yeah. And there's people that will come into an organization like ours who you think are perfect on paper that are just not. And you've got to be, you've got to have that dichotomy, right? You can't just leave them alone. And so sometimes they might feel like they're micromanaged. Look, if you tell me no micromanage me, fine. I won't micromanage you if you do what you need to do. Like if right. I'm micro, if me, if Mike Simmons and Bill Allen are micromanaging you, we have a serious problem. <laughs> exactly. Like if I have to micromanage you and you feel like you're being micromanaged by me, 
then that's just telling me that you're not doing what you need to be doing inside the company. Yeah. If you don't hear from me for a year, you're doing a great job. Yeah. Like, and I know that I have to be somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And that's what that COO helps me do is I, I'll serious. I'm like you, there's the finish line, go get there. I don't care. And if you keep getting there, I'm not going to bother you. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be going to do the other things that I want to be doing. So yep. getting into all that stuff, large company, managing a lot of people, all of these lessons learned. I know we didn't solve your problem, but, um, are you coming to Nashville? <laughs> I'm coming to Nashville, man. Okay. I'm coming to Nashville. Listen, I want to say too, like the CEO thing, all the stuff that went right and wrong, whatever, it, but not a lot went right. But all the stuff that happened, it, it's just it's just ramped up because the stakes are higher because the salaries and things like that are higher. But all the stuff that I learned and all the stuff that went wrong, it's all just, it's hiring. And, and at that level though, you know, there's just a little bit more emphasis because the salaries are higher, the stakes are a little higher, the responsibilities are higher. So everything's ramped up, but it's not like, oh, I've been hiring people for years successfully and, and I have a great process and I, I do a good job. And all of a sudden the COO is just throwing out the window. Like if you can hire a great COO, the great thing is you go to this event in Nashville, right? You learn a lot. It's going to work. It's going to trickle down all those, the things that you learn and the things we're going to talk about, it's going to apply to all your hiring. It's going to apply to to, to working and, and dealing with all of your people. It's not like COO is like carve it out. It's, it's so different that you can't even explain. No, it's just going to help you with your business. So yeah, you'll hire the right COO, hopefully bring them in and manage them right and write expectations and all that. But guess what? Going forward, your other hires are going to benefit from what, what you're learning at that level too. So it's yeah, just, you're, exa you know, you're exactly right. It's not necessarily going to be a hiring convention, right? Right, or a right, seminar, right. Yeah. But I will tell you that the second day that we spend is going to be on hiring, building your team and hiring your staff. Because we have people who are coming to this event who are bringing their current COOs. People who have worked with them for a couple months, three months, six months. People who they just hired. People who people are coming with their, their guy on paper that's not coming, but they, they think they know who it is. Yeah. Almost as like a litmus test to say, you know, should I bring this person in is now the right time. So determining w when it's right for you, what the time's right, what, uh, what kind of person, because it's like, I think I've said it on here before. It's not a perfect match. Like the process that Nate and I went through and what we did is not what Mike and his partner need to do specifically. It's right. not what you need to do. It's all very, it's all very dependent on who the visionary is in that company, who the owner is and what your goal is. You might only want to work 20 hours a week and not two. You might want to work 40 hours a week and you want to bring somebody in to grow and build something with you. You might want to go do, it's, it's very dependent on your goals and what you want to do. So I, this event is going to be more of us figuring out who you are, spending some time with you guys, making sure that everybody gets what they need from it in whatever situation they're in. We're all going to be timed very similar, whether we have just hired somebody, we've had a COO working with for us for a while, or we're at that point where we're ready to hire one. Because right. I'm looking through applications of people who are applying that it's just it's just not the right time for them to come to this. Yeah. And it's not something to go to just to go to. And I'm not going to let you go if you're not ready because we would be doing you a disservice and we're doing us a disservice. I want the right, right. people in there who are kind of in that like three to six months of around the same time of what they need and what they're getting. And, you know, looking back at that time where we were all kind of at this race to hire these COOs, there's not a lot that are still, that are kind of, that have kind of like made it through that time period. Mm -mm. So, that's, that's why we wanted to do this because this, the cost of doing this 
is so high. I mean, you might say that, Mike, you might look back and say, okay, well, the first guy was like two months at, you know, $60,000 plus some bonuses. That's only like five or $10,000. And then the next one was a little higher paid for like three months. And that was like only another 15, but it's all your month, like your time that you spent, all the, the lost opportunity costs that you had for the company that potentially yep. was was getting screwed up over that time because it, uh, the guy wasn't wearing shorts anymore. So he wasn't comfortable and his, his performance went down. Right. right. And stuff like, you know, anything. And some of the, some of the times what happens is you bring the wrong person in with the wrong dynamic. It can screw up the whole dynamic of the company. And that now your best employee might quit or leave because you're backing this other horse. And one thing that we're going to talk about at this event is you bring in that COO, there's going to be some tough conversations that happen. You're going to have to back your horse. Yep. And what I hear from you a lot of times is you are kind of questioning whether you're going to be backing that guy or not and whether it makes sense to, to do that or if you need to back your staff and, and the employees. And, and sometimes you don't even know that they're throwing you under the bus, right? So, yeah. you know, yep. being aligned and there's, look, we could talk for hours and hours on this thing and, and we will. We'll talk for two days on it in Nashville and we'll solve all your problems there. And uh, <laughs> well, here's, the, here's, what, here's something too. I want people to take it away, right? Bad hires, even COO bad hires. It's not like we just said, well, let's just fold up the business. We screwed that up and we can't afford the mess. We like, listen, things, you move on, right? You, you adjust, you, you get past it. You learn from it. You get stronger. Like, like we're, it's all good. We're fine. It, it was a learning lesson and it's, it's a little bit painful in the moment. Like you said, it's more about opportunity costs than anything, but you learn from it and you move forward. It doesn't, it, it should not derail you. It shouldn't destroy you. Like, Listen, we, we talked about a lot of things that went wrong and, it, and it's frustrating, but at the end of the day, you know, you look at it and go, all right, so those are mistakes that I should never make again. Those, those specific mistakes and you get better. You get better every time you do this kind of stuff. So don't like freak out, whether it's a CEO or anybody, like anybody listening to this, don't freak out if you hire someone, you go, oh my gosh, I think it was the wrong thing. Like I am terrible at hiring. If that's the way we looked at things, I know you've had a lot, a lot of people go, Bill, I, a lot of investors that are super successful have had hires that didn't work out. I told someone a couple of years ago, the first person you hire or the second, whoever, don't, don't go out and buy them that 25 year, 30 year gold watch and put it in somewhere and have it ready for them. Cause they're probably not going to be around that long. Chances are. Okay. So that, that goal you had of like everybody you hire stays there forever and they never want to leave. It's great. And that will probably happen from time to time. You love people like that, but there will be turnover. You'll make mistakes. And, but, how do you mitigate those and, and how do you learn from them? And, and more importantly, how do you learn from other people's mistakes? For crying out loud, you don't have to make every mistake yourself. Listen to other people and the mistakes they made so that you can accelerate your learning exponentially and not cost yourself that money. Learn from them. So, so, so do that so you, the mistakes you make are brand new. You've never heard of them before, right? And, and you'll bypass all the easy ones or the common ones that people can tell you about. So, you know, going like to your CEO event, obviously you've learned a lot. I'm going to go and honestly, I'm probably going to share these stories with people there too, right? It's, it's like cautionary tales. They should know what didn't work for me because that's also valuable to them. You know, they, I, I love people telling me, oh, I did this and it didn't work. It was a disaster. Here's what happened. Good. Thank you. I will either not do that at all or I'll completely change the approach to avoid the mistake you made. So, that you know, hearing what goes wrong can be very valuable too. Well, that's why I'm glad that you uh, took me up on this podcast. That's the whole reason why we came on to do this because I think that people, you know, there's people that are in your shoes or a lot of times we beat ourselves up, like you said, for those mistakes that we made. It's 
you got to go through that. You guys had to go through this journey to get where you're going. I know where you're going. It's, it's, it's rock star status. You guys are going to do very well. You're going to continue to thrive and be successful because I, the people that you are, and none of this is going to get you down. It's just not going to happen. So all of these are learning lessons that the lesson learned from this first one went into the second one. The lesson learned from the second one is going to go into the next one. And you guys will find that right fit. And you got to take all these kind of puzzle pieces, put them together the way that your puzzle looks, which is different than the way mine looks. Yep. And that's the whole thing. Like this event, the biggest thing that I want to get across this event is Nate and I are not perfect. We did not do everything right. We made a lot of mistakes. We screwed up a lot of things. And in some of the things we did, we did really well and we did right, but we didn't know what the result was going to be. We didn't know that all that stuff was going to happen. So right. what I want to do is I want to show you all the stuff that happened during our journey so you can prepare for it and expect it and be ready for it. So instead of it taking six months to get up to speed, maybe it takes you four. And instead of taking a year and losing profitability for a year of, as an owner, I lost profitability for a year almost. My, the money that I made the first year that Nate came on was significantly less than I made the year before. I hope to shortcut that curve for you guys to yeah. show you what's, what's going to happen so you're prepared for it. And I'm not going to let out a ton of spoilers here, but you've got to be ready for all that stuff. Like there's, we could talk, we're going to talk for two days about this. We're going to show you everything that we did right, everything that we did wrong. We're going to dig into who you are and stuff like that. So, um, so I appreciate you sharing all these lessons learned. What I wanted to get across here, and I think we did a very good job of it was, well, you did a very good job. You did most of the talking today, which is great. So... <laughs> which usually happens. But the, <laughs> the, what I love is the fact that we have a very successful person and a very successful business and a couple successful business owners who got to the million first in seven figure flipping who are struggling with something and yeah. trying to figure out what that looks like and going through that, being willing to be open and share it in, uh, to my audience. All the people that listen to this podcast is fantastic. And that's the kind of stuff that happens behind the closed doors of what we do in the mastermind groups and at Flip Hacking Live and all the other events that we put on. And I just saw a need in the marketplace for this. And I thought, you know, after working together for two years, seeing how great Nate is because this is something for him. He wants to do this. He wants to show he's been running that meeting still with the other COOs. He's mm -hmm. been bringing them together. He's been, they've been working together that we have some very successful ones inside the group right now. And he wants to start being a mentor to these, these guys he, and gals. He wants to start figuring out how he can help the marketplace in the, in the area that he is really, really successful at. And it's all on him. This is, this is him. This is not me, you know, um, putting this together. This is him saying, Hey, Hey man, I want to do more. I want to impact this community. I want to impact this world. I want to show people what, what I've done because what Nate has done, not what I've done. Like I, we just found each other. I, I put him in and he ran with all of this, like all the credit of this event and putting all this together and the success of my business now above and beyond what I could achieve is on, on him. It's him. It's all him. Yeah. So, you know, the, the crazy thing is there's a lot of people who are, who are at the level that should be at this event. Right. And no one's talking to them about this. Nobody nobody. I know they're not because I've been in this industry for a long time. And so have you, no one is sharing the information that you guys are going to share and no one's addressing the, the issue of hiring at that level, right? Everyone's talking about hiring your first person to answer the phone or some of these things when you're starting out, which is important and you need, but there are people listening to this. There are people out there that are running successful businesses and they, they've hired someone, like you said, or they're at the point where they really should, 
because that's just where they are and that's what they want out of this. They need their time back or whatever the case may be, but no one's talking to them. So that's why I'm excited about this event. I'm excited to hear what Nate has to say. Um, I've never seen Nate put together something in this level and I'm excited at what he's going to have because I've talked to him about it offline and like just individually and, and the guy just, he knows what he's talking about. He's a smart dude and he's, He's going to share some stuff that I think is going to really open people's eyes and help them quite a bit. So yeah, I'm excited for, sure. for it, man. By, by the time this comes out, uh, so tomorrow we're recording this on Tuesday. This will come out on Thursday. We are, uh, Nate and I are meeting all day tomorrow on Wednesday, kind of go through applications, look at the, look at who's coming, look at all of this, the structure of the event and planning those two days. Um, it's going to be really, really cool. It's here in Nashville. It's an awesome location. It's going to be a great time. We're going to do some yep. fun stuff. If you're together. interested in boots and country music, come on down, man. Cause that's what I saw when I was there. That's right. And <laughs> we'll be right, we'll I can't be, wait. We'll be right downtown, right on Broadway. We got a great location. Nice. So, um, so if you guys cool are interested town. and you want to apply, so it's, it's application only. You've got to apply. Nate and I are personally reviewing this. This doesn't go to a staff, doesn't go to anybody else. We'll personally review it. If you're kind of on the fence, we'll reach out to you. We're going to tell you it's a good fit or it's not a good fit for you right now. And if it's a no, it, it's not a no forever. It just could be a no right now. You're not ready right now. If our plan is after this one, uh, down the road, we might do another one. That's kind of the goal. So if it's not right now, that's okay. But if this is for you or you think it might be for you and you're kind of on the fence, you're not sure, just fill out an application and we'll, we'll reach out to you and just say you're not ready um, or we're full, we're at capacity, something like that. So go to dash2live.com. So dash, the number two, live.com. We'll put it in the show notes too. So D-A-S-H to the number two live.com and fill out an application. Check it out. So um, you can see I made, I made a video on there. You can see a little bit more about it, some details, stuff like that, um, and read a little bit about what it is and um, fill out an application. It doesn't cost you any money to fill out an application and we'll go from there and see if it's for you. So nice. um, Mike, I appreciate it. I know that we went really long on this podcast, but, and you probably could talk for another two hours. I, you kept digging in. Nothing, nothing, man. You know me. I could keep talking. That's right. I got to have to cut you off at some point. So. We'll have to have a whole, we'll, have to, we'll spend two hours on, on my successes next time. Okay, deal. Uh, <laughs> we might just, I'll just schedule 30 minutes for that one. All right. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, I had a good time as always uh, talking yeah. with you and I really appreciate you coming on and not being a little vulnerable, like actually opening up, talking about uh, sharing some things. I, I And I, it's really nice to hear people talking about some issues that they've had and how to help some of these investors out there. And uh, all of these tales and these, these experiences and, and all this stuff, it, it surpasses the COO thing. It goes down to anybody that you hire, even, yeah. even knowing yourself and, and how totally. you manage yourself and stuff like that. So I totally. think there's a lot of great lessons learned here that a lot of people are going to take value from it. And if you guys are getting value from this podcast, let us know. So give a review, uh, share it on your Facebook page, on any of your social media, tell a friend about it. Uh, let us know how we're doing. We'd love to hear about, um, about that. So if you guys on iTunes, Stitcher, any of those areas, uh, just leave us a rating and review. We'd really love it. So this is on YouTube too, right? It's going to go on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. We are also uh, just created this YouTube channel. So Seven Figure Flipping on YouTube. So if you go to our YouTube channel, you can see all the videos. You can see like uh, Mike and me backstage and right. at our house. And, uh, <laughs> I know. I'm subscribing now. I'm going to go in and watch myself. Yeah. It's another opportunity to watch myself. Yeah. Screenshot <laughs> it. Put your background on your computer. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. Well, we could rip on each other all day. <laughs> exactly. Well, this will be, uh, this will, we'll, we'll make a blooper outtake on the YouTube channel yeah. too. So you guys can check that out. So, all right, Mike, <laughs> thanks for uh, spending time with me and all you guys listening. Thanks for spending time with us. I know you guys have a lot of places you could be spending your time and what you can be listening to. So thanks so much for listening the seven figure flipping podcast. We'll see you on the next one. And don't forget, go to dash2live.com, fill out your application. I'll see you guys in Nashville. Nice. See bye, you. Bye.
Thanks for listening to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast with Bill Allen. If you want to grow and scale your house flipping or wholesaling business, check out more insider tips and strategies from the nation's most successful real estate investors at sevenfigureflipping.com.